Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that practices what it preaches most of the time on the subject of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have a lot of new stories from car sales to a new three-wheeled Morgan. In our feature story, Alan Zervis and I test the Ford Mustang they call the High Performance Model which, despite its name, has the small but perky four-cylinder turbo engine. And Brian Smith and I discuss a quirky news story about mosaics on the footpath. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au with links to social media and podcasts. So to get this program going, let's start with the news. The VFAX car sales figures for February 2022 report sales of 85,340 vehicles, a 1.6% increase on February 2021. But little can be made of trends in the market due to disruptions in supply chains. Respected motoring journalist Neil Dowling, writing in Go Auto News, said, In the case of some unlucky models, COVID-19's tentacles adhered to more than one link in the chain, striking at the labour level on the production floor, the supply of components including semiconductors, shipping schedules, access to last mile delivery sources and dealership opening times. Unquote. The whole situation has now been further complicated by the Ukrainian war. For all of 2021, no vehicles with Russia as a country of origin were imported into Australia. The boycott of some shipping to Russia may open up capacity, but turbulence in supply seems to be the short-term future, at least. The war and other instabilities emphasise the need for Australia to achieve better fuel security, an issue only superficially addressed in the federal government's future fuel strategy. We need to embrace non-fossil fuels, electricity and hydrogen, to power our industry and vehicles. Kia continues to push hard on its strategic commitment to become a leader in sustainable mobility, and they have just put key target numbers on their vision for the future, and it is not just about electric vehicles. They are targeting 4 million annual vehicle sales globally in 2030. Of this figure, they anticipate 1.2 million will be battery electric vehicles. Their lineup will include 14 battery models by 2027. Auto Mode, Kia's new autonomous driving technology, is to be launched in 2023 with the first application in the EV9. It's not immediate full automation, but supports performance optimization through wireless updates and will be improved as the technology develops. It will also include a highway driving pilot feature, which will enable driving without driver intervention on highway sections. They also want to expand connected car features to all their vehicle lineup by 2025. And they aim to become number one global purpose-built vehicle, PBV, brand by 2030 with the first dedicated PBV model in 2025. PBV is providing specialist vehicles to customers based on their specific needs. With major car companies ceasing production of motor vehicles in Australia 
attention has focused more on the maintenance and repair industries, which were always important, but often overlooked. When we spoke to Jeff Gwillem, the CEO of VACC, recently, he said... But we do have 360,000 people nationally that work in the automotive industry, a big proportion of those are mechanics. And when you look at some projections around some of the government statements, 50% of the car fleet will be electric by 2030, um, that's all fine. And, you know, whether or not we can actually reach those numbers is another issue entirely. But the critical thing, David, is who's going to repair them? And it's not just about repairing drivetrains. BMW Group Australia has launched an enhanced carbon fibre repair program for its accredited BMW body shop network. Carbon fibre was used extensively in the manufacture of the BMW i3 nearly a decade ago and now features in the construction of the BMW iX, which launched in Australia late last year. It also features prominently in the safety cell passenger compartment of flagship vehicles such as the 7 and 8 series and multiple elements of BMW's high-performance M models. With benefits from lighter weight, repairing new materials and technologies will be an important issue. Electric vehicle announcements are all the rage amongst car companies with a focus on sedans, SUVs and utes. Given that electric vehicles have surprisingly good acceleration, in some cases better than most exotic performance cars, there has not been much activity in making electric sports cars. Tesla did start with their Roadster vehicle in 2005, hoping then to grab early adopters and then move on to the mainstream vehicles. They ceased production of the Roadster in 2012 and have focused on sedans and SUVs, as well as releasing a concept for a ute. Some of the exotic sports cars have embraced hybrid vehicles and concepts of electric sports cars. Ferrari plans an all-electric car in 2025. But Polster has now revealed a new concept car that, they say, redefines sports roadsters for the electric age. It's called the Polestar 02. The vehicle has a low, wide body with a compact 2 plus 2 cabin design, minimal overhangs and a long wheelbase. It will come as a coupe or a convertible. Polestar is the standalone Swedish electric vehicle manufacturer founded by Volvo Cars and Geeling Holding. It works specifically with Volvo Cars. Last week we reported on the launch of the first BYD vehicle, that's the Chinese battery and automobile manufacturer, onto the Australian market. EV Direct has the exclusive rights to distribute the vehicle in Australia. Their CEO, Luke Todd, emphasised an online approach in selling. So we, we're on, on their channel, so there will be some dealership presence, but predominantly um, uh, online, and that's, that's all about keeping the cost down, interacting with our customers in a more sophisticated way, uh, but, but also giving them the capabilities to touch and feel and just drive the vehicles. But EV Direct has just announced that they have entered a joint retail partnership with Eagers Automotive to establish a network of multi-format retail and customer experience locations for the BYD EV passenger and commercial range. The joint venture aims to complement EV Direct's integrated online strategy.
we've just been driving a sports car convertible. It's not one of the exotics, but gee, I tell you what, it is value for money. We're talking about the Mustang. And to talk about that, we have on the line our good friend from Gay Car Boys, Alan Service. G'day, Alan. David, how are you? Very well. It was the Performance Mustang, that's the name they give it, but it's not the most performing one. No, I'd have thought they'd have called the 5 litre the performance model, but uh, in this case, it's the 2.3, uh, what is it, high performance EcoBoost. So they call the 5 litre, the big thumping V8, a GT, and this one they uh, call high performance or something, yes. All right, so it's a four-cylinder Mustang. Is that against everyone's religion? Well, I think you have to keep in mind the original Mustangs, they also came, you know, the, those 1960s ones also came in a variety of engines. There was a four, a six, and an eight. And this has got uh, far more power than any of them. So, I guess. Yeah. It's a turbocharged. It's got 236 kilowatts. Yep. It's neither high nor low, uh, but it certainly gets up and, um, and uh, lifts up its skirt. Without being that raucous acceleration, but still nonetheless very good. But it looks elegant. It, well, elegant, it looks muscular. Is that uh, the way to describe it? Very much, I think. It looks, it captures the feel, the look and feel of those early Mustangs that had that, um, or oh, dare I say, machismo. You know, you, you got in one of those and you felt properly, uh, properly sporty. Uh, some of the ones in between, some of those 80s and 90s ones, early 2000 ones, they frankly were awful. Oh, they're terrible. I, I, I've mentioned before, I drove one down the west coast of California and I thought, hey, I'm in a Mustang, but it looked nothing better than a, a Camry, slightly better than a Camry, I think, sort of look. I mean, an old Camry. Absolutely, yeah. It just it just didn't quite cut the mustard. Now this has been updated. It uh, when it started, of course, it came with a t- lousy two star rating. Ford must have been beside themselves. A safety rating. Yeah, yeah. They, they, there must have been over at Dearborn there some some sweaty brows around the CEO's desk, and they shoehorned a couple of extra safety devices in, gave it a couple of updates. Uh, but that still only brought it up to three stars, and that was for the coupe, so the convertible, I think, would be less even. Uh, and the other thing was, too, I think it only had, when it came out, did it only have a six-speed automatic? It wouldn't have had many. What have we got this time? Ten. Ten speed. Ten speed. So I imagine it's the same one that's in the Ranger that we had recently. It seems to do very well. There's uh, some drive modes to consider. I didn't enjoy sport mode. I thought it clunked into gear and didn't give that sort of smoothness. You know, with a 10-speed gearbox, you feel almost like Formula One. I know they only have, what, seven or eight, but vroom, vroom, vroom through the gears feels really good. This, once you got going, was okay, but at low speed, it dropped a gear or two and went, and to my mind, felt like a significant perceivable clunk. Yeah, and the same going up, so whether it was up or down. But I I quite like that. I quite like that... that, uh, immediacy uh, it, i know it didn't suit you uh, but i quite like that that feeling that it's it's doing you've got to be ready for it and i think around town i'd probably prefer not to be in sport mode the interior has quite a variable dashboard in front of it including when you go into sport 
the taco becomes like a hockey stick. The one to a thousand or so revs is on the curve, and then the stick goes from left to right across the top of the dashboard. Well, funnily enough, that's the same as my motorcycle, which is interesting. It's a, a part digital dash. Yes, you're quite right. The traditional instruments have been replaced by this LCD screen, but it's not really configurable like some of the other ones that you and I have driven. And I think they've missed a trick. I think they could have just done away with the this trying to imitate old dials and just gone the whole hog. Comfortable? Reasonably. Uh, heated and cooled seats. And even with the windows down, there's uh, not much turbulence inside. But, David, I had a real problem with the way the roof operates. It's only semi-automatic which means you've got to release that centre handle, give it a twist, release it, and then use the button to put the roof down uh, where it's not covered at the back. It's, it's, it's open to the elements, and you can see inside the bodywork. I just don't think that's uh, at all very neat. Have to get out of the boot and put little covers over the folded-down roof, don't you? Yeah, so it covers up the hole that is left when the roof goes down with these and i've tried to fit them and honestly they're not that easy and then when you want to put the roof up let's just say you were caught in a shower as uh, as you and i were uh you've got to get out take those things out put them in the boot or chuck them in the back seat and then put the roof up and you've also got to virtually stop in order for the roof to go up or down but there are a couple of other things that i i really like. i think the interior looks it looks great but it looks a little bit cheap. What they were trying to do was to recapture that original Mustang, both outside and inside. And to a degree, they've done that. But whereas the old Mustang had metal parts and lovely chrome and solid steel and all of this sort of thing, the interior of the 2021 Mustang is plastic. I just have a, a thing about metalized plastic. I really hate chrome plastic. Well, you said that it looks a bit cheap. Well, in fact, the pricing is remarkably cheap. The 2.3 Echo Boost with a hard top is about 51500 plus on-road costs, and you add about nine and a bit thousand dollars for the convertible. That still makes it about $60,000, nearly $61,000 for a convertible Mustang with a reasonable amount of horsepower. Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time and the opportunity to drive the car. As always, David, thank you for your time. And that's Alan Service from Gay Carboys. And we were driving the convertible Mustang with this four-cylinder, 2.3-litre turbocharged engine. This is Overdrive across Australia. Nissan has released in Europe their latest LEAF all-electric car. The LEAF was the first mass-market all-electric car when introduced in Japan and America in 2010. The second generation was launched in 2017. Being first can be a disadvantage. The inaugural model had a range of only 117 kilometres, and while this has increased to 364 kilometres and will reach 385 kilometres in the new model, its image and the image of electric cars in general can suffer because of the low range and the degradation of this early technology battery performance. The same can happen with batteries in early Priuses, but being a hybrid, the impact is less noticeable. 
the first leaf looked a bit dorky at the front with headlights that sat high almost to the front windscreen line and it was pioneering the no-grill look. The next generation had more squinty headlights and a different shaded panel at the front where a typical grille would be. Nissan is sharpening up the appearance, including, they say, with new 16 and 17 inch alloy wheel options with a slick black fascia enhancing their premium feel and a refreshed lineup of exterior colours. In terms of safety and technology, there may not be a lot that's all new. It has two battery options, as there are now. The bigger battery gives a range of 385 kilometres. The Pro Pilot technology will enable LEAF to automatically stop, start and maintain a safe distance to the vehicle in front. Remote operation of features such as climate control are also available through the Nissan Connect app, while customers can link their LEAF to their Amazon Alexa smart home device for added convenience. For Australia, the new LEAF will arrive in the second half of 2022, with local pricing and specifications to be released closer to that time. Renault introduced a small SUV, the Akana, onto the Australian market in August 2021 with three variants, the Zen, Interns, and they included the announcement of the RS line. But the RS line has only just arrived. Its features above the Intens model include 18-inch RS line diamond-cut alloys, a specific front bumper design with an F1-inspired aero blade, RS line badging, gunmetal grey door trims and front and rear skid plates. A fully digital 10 and a quarter inch instrument cluster, an auto dimming rear view mirror and a sunroof. Options are metallic paint at $750 and contrasting black roof at $600. It has a 1.3 litre petrol engine delivering 115 kilowatts and 262 newton metres. It is Euro 6 compliant in its pollution reduction and its fuel consumption is rated as 6 litres per 100 kilometres on the combined cycle. The base model Zen is priced at $34,590. You add $4,000 for the mid-spec Intens and a further $3,500 for the RS line. Renault managed to show growth in sales in 2001, but only by 2.8% in a market that grew 14.5%. But they have started 2022 with a bang, and in the first two months their sales are up 200%, starting from a low base. Currently, the Arcana captures less than 1% of the small SUV market. Rivian, the electric vehicle manufacturer who has made great headlines on building utilities to a timetable ahead of Tesla, have raised the prices of their yet-to-be-released vehicles by up to 20%. They have linked the prices to introducing a new dual-motor vehicle of the Ute, and SUV, in 2024. They said the rises were due to inflation, component costs and supply chain constraints. Those who have gone a long way to finalising their pre-ordered vehicle will get it at the original price, but the others, who have pre-ordered but not progressed as far, will have to pay the extra if they want to go through with the deal.
A poll conducted by a Rivian consumer group reported that nearly 63% of those who had previously indicated that they wanted to buy a vehicle will not go through with the purchase due to the price increase. Almost 14% said they would, and nearly 24% were undecided. For those who said they will look elsewhere, there was a strong push to traditional brands such as Ford and General Motors. Is there still a market for three-wheeled cars? Morgan thinks so by announcing an all-new Morgan Super 3. It's not like the reliant Robin made famous in the TV series Only Fools and Horses and with one wheel at the front making for highly questionable stability. The Morgan has two wheels at the front and one at the rear in an open-top sports car. Morgan started with a three-wheeler back in 1909 and continued to build them until 1952. They started to build four-wheeled cars in 1939 and continued to do so until reintroducing a three-wheeler in 2011. Steve Morris, chairman and CEO of Morgan Motor Company, said they bought in the new model car, quote, following on from the incredible success of the outgoing Morgan three-wheeler. According to Wikipedia, Morgan builds 850 cars a year. Last year, Morgan sold three cars in Australia for the whole of the year. In 2020, they did much better. They sold six. The new model has a 1.3-litre engine with 87 kilowatts of power, a manual five-speed gearbox, but only weighs 635 kilograms. They said in their publicity, underneath, it is a very modern product as well as being the first Morgan to be built with this superformed monocoque structure, which has weight, rigidity and packaging benefits. It's also the first Morgan to be available with a cup holder. This is Overdrive across Australia. The Nissan Navara has been a mainstay ute for many years, sometimes lost in a wide and often confusing choice of manufacturers. Priced from the entry-level single cab chassis at $32,300 through to the recently released Pro4X Warrior at $69,990 plus the usual costs, there is a Nissan ute for everyone. I've just spent a couple of weeks in the latest STX four-wheel drive dual cab with a premium leather pack, and it's probably my pick for the sweet spot in the range. The interior is well laid out with leather heated seats, new central screen and driver ergonomics. The exterior is actually pretty stylish. I like the sliding tie rails in the tub along with tie down points. Very practical. The rear tailgate is light to operate which is another bonus. On road the Navara has excellent ride for a ute and the 140kW 450Nm engine combined with a 7 speed sports automatic is enough for most people. It's excellent off-road, has a rear diff locker standard and will tow 3,500 kilos if needed. Navara is now fitted with trailer sway controller standard across all models and a tow bar is fitted as standard on the STX and the Pro4X models. This is the Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. So let's uh, talk about the unusual. Let's hear Brian Smith tell us what it's all about. Brian? David, we've often reported about quirky and interesting ways uh, that people draw attention to potholes and and, uh, damaged pavements. There was one I think we reported on, David, where a gentleman was spray painting anatomical shapes of some kind on the road as as a way of encouraging the road authority to come and fix a pothole. If you're going to come out and sort of cover it in paint, well, you might as well fix the pothole while you're there. Hmm. So it's a little bit crass, right? There's a fellow guy called MMM 
who uh, lives in Lyon in France, and he's known as the pavement surgeon. He has a different approach to it, David. He puts together little mosaic sections to replace cracked or missing pieces of pavement. They're beautiful, David, but they're extremely pretty. So he's been doing it since about 2016. He'll find a sort of a small hole or a crack or a missing piece of pavement, and he'll very beautifully create a mosaic section to fill in that gap. And they're just lovely, like sections around access holes or cracked pavements with this almost a sense of a hidden city beneath the bitumen where you get a a glimpse of a a Roman floor, Mm. you know, made from these mosaics. It's absolutely beautiful. His latest work is is, uh, from the end of last year around the Grand Paris Express in Saint-Maucrety, and he ended up basically an exhibition. So um, they're called Patched Projects, and it's kind of guerrilla pothole mosaics done also by another artist as well. It's not only drawing attention to the pavement missing, but it's fixing it because these mosaics fill the gap and fill the hole. And I find them quite beautiful and uh, reassuring. And also to be just a lovely sort of piece of a lovely surprise to see. It evokes to you a sense of style, a sense of colour, a sense of thought about Roman rooms and other things, or perhaps even 19th century sorts of houses in an environment that is incredibly bland, the grey-black tar of uh, all sidewalks is really a very depressing environment, and here's a flash of inspiration. He first started, he found himself in a damaged alley in Lyon, I think near a market. This inspired him, I think, and I could think of no better sort of approach, you know, an ugly alley in a city that, that has these bright elements to it. It would put a smile on my face. It's a sort of whimsical thing, I, and, and I'd, I'd like to see that sort of thing done in our city. There's one issue about it as to whether the surface is slippery or dif- or difficult or if it becomes uneven. Someone m- might be concerned about that. Yet, if that's the case, then we ought to aim to overcome it and keep doing it rather yes. than, than saying, let's stop completely. Hmm. I'm going to see if I can incorporate something like it into a, my next sort of bus interchange project. I saw some artists had done things like, there's a crack in the ground or something, and so they sort of have a, a uh, an alligator or something coming out of it. That, that's a bit aggressive. Something more like a, a nymph or something like that. But or the guy that goes and sees a, a guy. I think it is a guy. Doesn't matter. A pipe coming out of a wall and creates a story around it. Paints around mm. it in the most creative of ways such that when you walk down the street, you suddenly think. Now, I had to give a Welcome to Country the other day, a reflection on our first inhabitants here in Australia, of which we say I show respect and, and that to elders and others. Uh, but I also said, you know, they also had this, it was a transport panel discussion. They had this lovely idea that when they travelled, that they did so with an awareness of them around them and a respect for it. And my comment was that whereas we travel past schools, hospitals and and homes in our polluting, noisy vehicles without any thought of it, whatever. Well, this evokes to my mind that it's not just a utilitarian flat bit of tar. It's actually got a little bit of character to it that springs out and reminds you. And it's care, isn't it, David? It's Ah. it's caring for that little patch. Hmm. It's showing someone's spent a lot of time and there's a lot of thought to create something pretty and beautiful and, and caring for that city 
which, you know, in a sense, the, the broken pieces represent a lack of care. Mm. A metaphoric of uh, a broken city in many ways. Gosh, David, we're just covering all the big issues today. Uh, let, let's give up going to motoring and start writing for and broadcasting to philosophical. Uh... Lovely. <laughs> all right, Brian, lovely to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Pleasure, David. You're listening to Overdrive. Kia entered the urban SUV space with the front-wheel drive-only Stonic just a little while ago, and we spent a week in the entry-level S version. If you think of the Stonic as a Rio bulked up, you've got a good picture of what it's like. The Rio is a good car for its purpose. Like all new Kias, the Stonic benefits from an extensive standard equipment across the three-model range. It comes standard with six airbags, AEB, lane-following assist, reversing camera, dynamic parking guidelines, and a host of extra safety features all on the entry level. Inside the S version has cruise control, wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, multi-connection Bluetooth, an 8-inch multimedia touchscreen, 6-speaker sound system, an LCD driver cluster and 15-inch steel wheels and auto headlights. Even though it's front-wheel drive only, the little SUV Stonic is ideally suited as an urban runaround, has enough flexibility to take a couple on a weekend away. Like most small cars, it's a little light on performance, but makes up for that in economy and provides a smooth and comfortable ride around town. Priced from 22,990 drive away for the automatic version, the Stonic completes the Kia SUV lineup. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Alan Zervis, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au, including links to the socials and podcasts. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.